Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today for the first time is freelance writer Taylor Cock. Taylor, welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. How's it going? Not too bad. Uh, just trying to deal with last-minute holiday craziness, and I know that's been an issue for our other guest. Uh, welcome <laughs> back to the show, our buddy Andrew Gruen. Hey, Rob. How are you? I am hanging by a thread. <laughs> uh, just got a tree yesterday. Uh, discovered that there are tree farms that don't actually let you just cut down a tree. They're actually like, "Do you have a tree reserved?" <laughs> Which I didn't know was a thing, but apparently is. Uh, so we had to go to a couple places, and it was absurd. But I did buy a ton of booze, so I was able to uh, put that day in the rear view right quickly. Uh, anyway, so. Taylor and Andrew are kind of my esports colleagues. We both do a lot of writing in esports, uh, you know, at a variety of different, different places. And I thought it'd be good here at the end of the year, in part because we completely dropped the ball planning a regular show, uh, <laughs> and Taylor and Andrew were just sort of hanging out. Uh, but we thought it'd be a good time to sort of look at the year of 2013 uh, in esports and you know, sort of take a look at what happened, uh, some of the big changes. I will say up front that if you are one of our many listeners who don't really care that much for esports uh, and as they relate to strategy games, this is probably not the show for you. Uh, if you're curious about the scene and everything, we definitely hope this is going to be an episode that you'll enjoy. But if you if you just hear esports and, and Blanche, um, I got to say, like, we'll see you next week and it'll be a show <laughs> you enjoy. Uh, but for now, we're going to kind of geek out on esports and... Uh, what's been going on this year and so to start us out i i kind of wanted to talk a little bit about uh what what are some of the biggest changes we've seen this year i think 2013 was kind of a dramatic year in terms of formalizing things in esports it's been kind of an odd year so what were kind of the the signal events uh for you guys well i think i think honestly the, the biggest change even though it wasn't necessarily the biggest eSport was was in StarCraft 2 with the WCS because you had League of Legends over there and League of Legends was rock solid and was it was totally the basically the exact same thing and they're consistent and it's great and everybody loves it but StarCraft 2 the WCS uh, the World Championship Series was kind of terrible last year I mean their big uh, end of year event was kind of embarrassing everybody kind of laughed and mocked it and kind of made fun of it and the tournament wasn't very good the production was horrible and so they came into 2013 with you know kind of a lot to prove and i think they did a really really good job of it because they really got on a roll with consistency with the wcs whereas you could you could tune in at any time you could watch some some decent starcraft and the end of season tournaments were always entertaining they were always a really good time and the format just worked out a ton better and i just i feel like they made some really strong improvements there even if it wasn't necessarily the strongest year for starcraft as an esport and that's sort of uh tailgating on the fact that the the WCS and the LCS are an introduction to actual scheduled leagues in esports, whereas previously it was sort of just a collection of tournaments. Right, right. Uh, and with the WCS and the LCS, we're sort of de- treating it like it's a real thing that we have to actually schedule and tell people <laughs> what's happening, mm-hmm. um, which is making it much easier to follow and much more exciting, to be honest, because there's some continuity to this, these storylines and you're watching rivalries form and, and people uh, figuring out which teams to be a fan of, which is right, a right. thing that didn't really necessarily exist before. A lot of times I felt like in the past that was kind of a, a little bit of a random thing in, in League of Legends because you, you know, you've been following the game for 
eight months, how do you really know who you really care about, who these players are that you really love, who these teams are that you really love? Whereas StarCraft has, you know, 15 years of history. People really know what they believe in, what they really like in a player, that sort of thing. Um, and so that, that is sort of a thing that's kind of happened with League this year is that continuity is finally starting to pay off and the, the storyline is really starting to evolve finally. Yeah, I kind of feel like I think it's sort of across esports. There, there was this, there was this issue in 2012 of what do any of these games, tournaments really mean? Uh, and mm. you see, you see these sort of really labored narratives layered on top of things in 2012, particularly in StarCraft, where it's like, um, you know, when when DRG and Marine King were going back and forth, and it was kind of like these are the two greatest StarCraft players, you know, in the world right now. Well, no, they really weren't. They were two really <laughs> successful ones on the foreign circuit, uh, who were both sort of peaking at the same time, mm-hmm. but. You know, DRG was a legitimately great player, and Marine King was uh, a brilliant tactician who I don't think ever had more than a few tricks in his bag. But anyway, you had this 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 desire to see something that could give a narrative arc to all these different tournaments you were seeing, an MLG here, a DreamHack there. And the trouble with that is it's all kind of deceptive. Like, what, what, what in 2012, esports was kind of permanently amnesiac. Like, what happened oh, right last now. week didn't really matter two weeks later here we've seen a major effort at trying to give things uh, some real structure and i think there were some positives and some real shortcomings uh with that in, in both series i think here's here's something i want to bring up with you guys uh the league of legends championship series uh, has kind of an interesting format in that you have two seasons uh the, the spring split and the summer split right and each of those seasons ends with a playoff. Mm-hmm. And my problem with, with, with the LCS, I suppose, this, this uh, last season the, in, in 2013, was that you had all these games. It was a long season. It was almost like baseball. It was just like, man, there's still more League of Legends? Okay, here yeah. we go. The thing is, with only eight teams in, in a division, the, I kind of felt like the regular season didn't really matter that much since it was going to end in a playoff anyway where they could where six of the top teams played <laughs> like regardless like if you right. basically if you weren't complete shit in your division in the LCS you got to the playoffs and then it didn't matter what your record was right that so um, did, it, did it kind of I, I did it kind of I didn't I didn't pay too much of attention to League of Legends back then but was it did it kind of end up where whoever was peaking around towards the end of the season regardless of the regular season record kind of had that best uh, best chance to get through yeah, more or less. I mean, especially like in the in EU, uh, the European leagues, where it was close pretty much the entire season. The teams mm-hmm. were pretty much were fairly evenly matched for the vast majority of the season. So it was it was sort of a bunch of fighting over third and fourth place, and then teams dropping in and out of that that sort of right. area as as you know teams came together or they picked up new players or whatever it was. And so the the playoffs just sort of ended up feeling rather unexciting and and had this feeling of oh we've seen all these games before and they're still kind of boring because all these teams are so evenly matched. Uh it was a weird thing where you kind of knew what everyone was going to do and there was no real excitement because hmm. They okay. just sort of they, they all respected each other too much in a weird way, and they just said, "Oh, well, we can't try this new weird stuff because we're still we still know what each other are doing because they played so many games against each other." As like Rob said, if it was it, it's like playing 
you know, playing a baseball match or playing a baseball season where they're playing these dozens and dozens of matches. But in baseball, there's what, 32 teams. So when there's only eight teams, it gets kind of boring because they just know sure. what the, they know, you know what to expect. And you, the teams know what to expect and they know how to counter each other. And it just, it makes the playoffs really just kind of bland, unfortunately. Okay. So that's interesting because like every other, every other, traditional sport the playoffs and even you know when you get down into something like starcraft or even at the international the playoffs are what really matters that's where all the drama is that's where the human element of everything comes into play and i'm interested that that didn't seem to happen with league but that might have been a personal problem for me Mm, i don't know if rob felt the same way you know so league's interesting i think part of it is just my interest level in league uh surged in the summer and because that regular season actually seemed to matter a little more. Uh, and you did have some exciting storylines uh, develop. And because it was all leading up to the World Championship instead of, uh, you know, the All-Stars. And uh, I'm not sure that really worked for me either. Uh, All-Stars in general is a difficult format to make sure. work. And this is true across every sport. Like, how do you make players playing a contextless match outside of their <laughs> regular teams? How do you make that cool? Uh Especially but, when it's an absolute slaughter, right? And what you need is what you need, and ultimately is is a, a red carpet event where people want to come and just see the faces of the people they love. And I don't know right. if esports are quite there yet. I I think for some people, like the people who are like religiously watching streams, uh, that's probably very true. I don't think that's most people. I don't think that's most of no. the growing esports audience. Like, you know, Dyrus seems like a nice kid in a lot of ways, but. I don't like feel like as a leisure activity, I want to really pursue, get my dose of like Dyrus <laughs> playing games and like, man, I just, I just wish I had more chances to like, you know, see Dyrus, you know, on center stage. <laughs> I, I, I just, that's just not me. I, I'd, I'd much rather see an actual game with uh, actual import. I, I think, you know, in terms of drama, the the run up to the world championships through the summer, uh, the 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 dying weeks of the uh, summer campaign were actually really good. You had some great storylines there. Um, Cloud Nine dominating uh, North America was really cool to see. Uh, it was the rare so case of a new exciting team coming up there. Yeah, and we'll get to this later, but it was also kind of a, does North America finally have a team that's like legit international competition caliber? Uh, that's not going to stumble when they, when they are playing at Worlds. And we'll discuss whether like discuss that later, but it was definitely cool to see a you know new group of faces, new team uh, come out of nowhere and really put the hammer down on the rest of North America. And it was really neat seeing like the European division work through uh, you know this this crazy season where nobody could get an edge except lemon dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, what was but I guess that was the really interesting thing for me is EU had this crazy dramatic finish where everyone was tied for second, basically. <laughs> uh, like there, there were like five teams tied for second place in that division. And what was kind of sad, though, uh, is that after they worked through this amazing tiebreaker and everything, like that, that, that final week of the regular season was just bonkers. They do a tiebreaker. They finish the season. 
and then a week later they're doing the the summer playoffs and it kind of felt anticlimactic to me because we'd just gone through this crazy season everyone battling to get like second place alone and then it was all resolved and then a week later it was kind of like wiping the slate clean okay top six teams you're in the playoffs go and yeah to me that typified some of the the tension in the lcs format there's just there's just not enough teams uh you know either the regular season needs to mean something or it needs to be maybe shorter and get to the playoffs a little faster that was that was my takeaway or maybe they just need to add more teams i mean i know that's a financial issue but uh if you know if they had even 12 teams where six went to the playoffs that would actually make it a little bit the t- you know the stakes would be a little bit higher during the oh, yeah. season uh which but is that comes back to a financial thing with for riot though doesn't because they they have to pay those teams regular salaries right. so they're probably trying to keep it down to a certain level so that they don't they're not investing too much yeah i think it comes to like what 40k a player something like that <laughs> yeah and, i mean that that sort of uh, signals a, a weakness in the sort of artificial esports landscape that riots created where they can't even even though they're riot they can't really afford to justify adding another you know forty thousand dollars a player times maybe six seven players plus a coach for four extra teams in the division just to make it a little bit more exciting oh yeah it's it's uh, it's an actual problem i don't think um it's really interesting to me riot have said repeatedly they lose money on esports but they keep deepening their investment Mm -hmm. which makes me kind of wonder I kind of wonder how that's calculated. You know, isn't there part of you that wonders, like, are you guys really losing money on this, or uh, they they sort of cook in the books a little bit? Well, it's, there, there's there's hard things to quantify, right? Like, sure. okay, when you see like when new champions roll out, and then t- within two weeks they are mandatory picks, basically in LCS. That is tremendous advertising for you know riot's actual product like Mm -hmm. i I think lcs kind of contributes to the buzz and excitement around the ongoing metagame and the 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 heroes that that come and go in terms of uh, power rankings i just kind of feel like lcs provides some real utility for the core uh, league of legends game that i don't know how you'd calculate that but i kind of wonder if you know if you were able to control for all those factors, whether or not LCS is really a money loser. And my suspicion is, given that Riot keep investing more, they have a gut feeling it isn't. No, I think they, I think they know very well that it, is, that it isn't because we have decades of evidence of what happens when a company doesn't vigorously support the competitive scene around their games. And it, what happens is that it eventually just sort of fades away and dies, even if it's a really brilliant game like StarCraft Brood War or something like that. Um, and ultimately, esports, whether it's expensive or not, is one of the very, very, very few ways to support your competitive scene over a long period of time. And I think that with a free-to-play game, Riot almost doesn't even have a choice. There's really no other way to to support your scene like that. Oh, sorry. Going back to the money, the, the money-making situation. I mean, like, take a look at, for example, the most one of the more recent champions that was released for League of Legends is uh, Lucian, and he was in the amongst casual players and you know sort of the fans of the scene he was considered pretty underpowered people thought he wasn't a was sort of a miss by riot and then as soon as the lcs started coming back as soon as these promo series started coming back he got picked a lot and he they the the pros realized that he was strong and he, he has become one of the top contested picks in the last few weeks and as a result if you're playing league of legends you know solo queue as a fan 
you're seeing a lot more Lucian. People are buying him now, than, whereas they weren't when he first came out. So it's sort of this, uh, as you said, it, it, it's a way to support the in-game purchases by having player, you know, if, if all of a sudden this champion has a rise in popularity, people are going to want to go out and buy it, uh, which is a hard thing, again, a hard thing to quantify. So I want to talk a little bit about the WCS in particular, just because there, there, were, there were a number of issues with it. Uh, but, I, I, you know, going back to when we were talking about the creating stories, uh, you know, mo- motif of, of this year, Andrew, do you feel that WCS really succeeded on those grounds? Do you think it created, do you think it succeeded in creating relevant narratives to sort of give the sport an over, overall shape? And do you think that it succeeded in identifying, if not maybe the best player in the world, at least the very best group of players in the world? I think that over periods of time, they have had some pretty good stories that they've sort of lucked into. Like Scarlet's just a wonderful story. Uh, Nani was a great story, um, but esports in general tends to suffer from a lot, from a big lack of good journalism, is my is my theory. And as a result, we really don't have a lot of we don't really have people out there finding a lot of the really great stories. Like I've always said that baseball is unbelievably spoiled in the amount of amazing journalists who work in baseball, but just brilliant, brilliant journalists who find the most incredible stories in baseball and esports just doesn't have that right now. Um, and so a lot of times the great stories, the great narratives are just sort of like, who will win? Will it be this person or will it be that person? Let's find out in the next game. And uh, so they suffer a lot uh, from that. And I do think that there needs to be a lot more work done towards establishing and educating people about what the great narratives of the game are um i don't know, do you guys feel like they succeed with that in the the lcs because i'm i'm not sure that they did in the wcs uh, to some degree i think it's sort of the, the lcs helps to create a certain narrative of rivalry and especially between eu and north america mm-hmm. um but also the between teams in in their respective regions because, you know, there's all these post-game interviews where people are talking trash about each other and, you know, it's, it's a whole thing uh, that has sort of become, it's almost like pro wrestling where they have these <laughs> sort of like, this, I think this player is shit. I think this team is garbage. I think, you know, these are the only two viable teams and we're one of them. You know, it's sort of this trash talking thing that has been going on in, for a lot in the last year. But Andy, I wanted to ask you, um, because of the sort of fall of StarCraft, uh, as, as I'm taking to putting it, uh, StarCraft used to be far and away the most popular esport in the world. Uh, but in the last couple of years, it's sort of taken a nosedive. Is, is there some way that you're talking about, you know, these, uh, these players' personalities starting to come through, these rivalries starting to form, and these groups of players? Is that, do you think that will be able to save StarCraft? Do you think that'll be able to bring people I, back I, to them again? I actually, I, I kind of think that the death of StarCraft has been greatly exaggerated. Um, because, you you know, you look at the, the, the viewership from the grand finals of the WCS uh, World Championship. Uh, what was that, in November or October? And, you know, they topped 150,000 concurrent viewers. You know, a problem, I think they were somewhere between 125,000, 150,000 concurrent viewers, which is as good as StarCraft's ever done, um, even during the peak years of, of 2012 or late 2011. Um, and, and it really does seem just that the, 
the league championship series has so overshadowed it that people have started to think that just by the stature of the two games compared to each other that starcraft is somehow doing poorly but i really just don't think it really is and sometimes i think it jars people when they go into the regular uh wcs matches and they only see you know fifteen thousand concurrent viewers or they'll see forty thousand concurrent viewers and it kind of makes you panic a little bit but at the same time you kind of have to realize that there is 15 20 times more starcraft being played live now than there ever was in the past so there is no expectation that there never, I don't think there ever was any expectation that StarCraft was going to pull in, you know, 80,000 80, viewers every night of the week uh, for 10 weeks straight. Uh, StarCraft always has been sort of this big bursty championship where you want to have that one big tournament where you can establish all the storylines and you don't really want to watch like a regular season game. Um, and so I, I, I guess I don't see the weakness of StarCraft that I keep hearing about. Um, I'd be curious to, to understand whether you guys think that's accurate from a, from a different point of view. I think part of it is in 2012, StarCraft got a little bit overhyped, and mm-hmm. everybody was jumping into it. Like you, like by the end of 2012, you couldn't throw a rock without hitting a StarCraft tournament. Uh, <laughs> the the schedule was really packed, and it had that relevance problem uh, that we discussed at the start of the show, where it's like, what do any of these really mean? Uh, mm-hmm. Why am I watching these guys play again this week uh, in yet another you know thirty two player bracket when I just saw these guys go out in the you know round of eight last week? It doesn't feel it doesn't feel important. And I think so we came into this year with with kind of a glut of starcraft. And I think initially w WCS kind of made that worse uh, because it was it was kind of thrown together at the last minute, and it absolutely showed in the production we saw in North America. And in uh, Europe, uh, ESL had a very rough start. They got really good toward the end of the year. Uh, ESL is the, uh, if you don't know esports too well, ESL is is sort of the premier esports producer in Europe. And, and they kind of produce a lot of different events. It's not like DreamHack, who also do very good events, but they're all for, for DreamHack. ESL are kind of hired guns. You can, produ- you can hire ESL to produce your esports events. So ESL was running WCS. They also do uh, Intel Extreme Masters, which is another great series. But, you know... You had so many of these things going on. You had ESL sort of starting out very rough. You had MLG kind of dropping the ball uh, at the at the launch of uh, North American WCS, and it was just you couldn't turn on you you couldn't open Twitch without seeing a ton of StarCraft all at once, and a lot of it kind of poorly produced. Uh, and it's no surprise to me at all that you started seeing numbers decline because there was absolute exhaustion. And sure, you know, there was absolutely a bubble there, and I think MLG kind of led the charge on that. Uh, when they got the WCS contract, they went so all out, and there was no chance that they were ever going to be able to maintain that. Yeah, MLG was... MLG was it, it worked out kind of it worked out kind of weird. I think if I had a, if I had a criticism of MLG, it's that their plans run ahead of their execution a lot, hmm. uh, and I think that happened with WCS as well, uh, where they had they, they they tried to they tried to blow out thing for the launch of this uh, for the launch of this of this new championship series and. They didn't really have it figured out, and live events is more of a specialty anyway. Uh, I think when it went to uh, NASL, uh, North American Star League, to produce uh, North American WCS, it, it worked better. So part of it's just an issue of packaging. I think there was, I think there was a packaging issue at the start of StarCraft. Um, I think StarCraft was living on borrowed time as the world's premier esport, uh, even in 2012. Like 
the the game is simply not as popular as games like League of Legends or Dota. Uh, it just isn't. And it was only a matter of time before those audiences started showing up to their respective esports and put StarCraft's numbers in the shade. The issue is, uh, you know, it kind of comes down to whether or not you believe that there's a, a finite number of advertising dollars for esports. Like, are you going to... Are people going to sponsor a StarCraft tournament when they're already seeing return on investment from a league or Dota 2? That's kind of an open question. I hope that's not the case. I think Blizzard has some really good plans for it this year. But I absolutely don't think... the Yeah, I don't agree that the StarCraft 2 is dying narrative really has a ton of merit. I think there are some issues with competitiveness I, I i do get concerned when i see european players kind of dropping out or stagnating north american players struggling to find any kind of place where they can be relevant in the tournament mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's kind of in a weird place where the community itself i don't know if you, i don't know if you you see this uh at all andrew but kind of feels like there's sort of an impossible double standard in starcraft fandom where they want the very best uh, but they also want local players. <laughs> uh, yeah, you could say that. You could say that. I mean, what it really just means, though, is that they want they want Scarlet to go play because, like, you, so you look at the other major players in the North American scene, and, and I mean, no one's going to show up to to watch Suppy. No one's going to show up to watch Vibe. Um, you know, Major isn't going to draw a crowd. Uh, so. There, there is that double standard where I think, you know, StarCraft is still a lot of the rock of the StarCraft fan base is still that sort of old school esports fan who wants to support the idea of esports and they understand esports at a pretty deep level. And so they know that they need to support a local scene if there's ever going to be a decent uh, North American competitor at all. Um, so they know that that needs to happen, but they also, you know, are rightly bored by a lot of those matches. You know, you, you, you mentioned... It's it's a really interesting thing. There's this there is this dichotomy I think forming in esports where there are people who are saying yes, do it for esports. Mm-hmm. They they are really they are really hyped to see esports grow and become bigger. Mm-hmm. And there's this weird kind of esports for esports sake. And I kind of feel like the future of esports can't be that. I think it's going to have to become more like sports where. You know, you're fan. You're you're a fan of the sport. You don't necessarily give a damn about other sports, but sure. you want to see good games in this scene. And whatever it takes to arrive at a competitive league, you'll be on board with that. But the, the overarching esports uh, Uberales thing is just not like <laughs> that's going to that's going to fade. I think we're already starting to see. Well, it. I think at this point we have all, some evidence to show that 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 didn't work and that it can't work. I mean, that sort of idea was really a big rallying cry for years before esports blew up and it was it was those sort of fans who kind of kept things going during the rough years from like 2005 to 2010 um that sort of dedicated fan who would just go out and buy a product just because it was advertised esports had that and it was a really good thing for a long time but it was never what made esports explode that what made esports explode was getting to the average person, you know, getting to the average fan who may not, maybe not, 
maybe was not a huge hardcore fan of the sport, but would check it out, you know, who would check out the international, who would check out worlds or who would check out the WCS finals because they thought it was kind of interesting. That's, that was the future of esports. That was when it really started to blow up. And that was a function of tech. Like the moment streaming became reliable and fairly problem free. That was that was kind of the moment esports been waiting for. Because in two thousand, even in two thousand six, like I was on a university connection, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at that time, I still couldn't stream video for you know <laughs> worth worth a damn. Like it was still really iffy. Like it was okay. It's you know it's it's three in the morning here on the network, and, and nobody nobody else is really around. So here we go. <laughs> yes, I can I can watch it, and I'm getting it's only it's only hitching every like five minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think You're that was a big six forty by four eighty. Oh my god! Yeah, just like, just like living like animals. <laughs> or you're watching a 240 resolution. It's like the size of your thumb, oh, yeah. and you're like trying to watch a Counter Strike match. It's like I, I can't no tell if that's going a Zer- on. I can't tell if that's a Zergling or a Marine. What is? is are they even playing Protoss? <laughs> What's going on? Wait, wait. This isn't StarCraft at all. Uh, you know, the other thing is you mentioned you mentioned Vibe, uh, Andrew, and, and I wanted to, I wanted to bring him up just really briefly because I was really struck by. I watched him play Scarlet uh, in the final qualifiers for Red Bull Battlegrounds. Mm-hmm. They had an amazing series. It was mm. one of my favorite uh, ZBZs of the year. Uh, just they're both Zerg players, Zerg versus Zerg. Uh, I've actually got a soft spot for that matchup, but <laughs> I don't know why. But that's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, just because I, I think I, I think Zerg have a lot of interesting counterplay uh, potential against each other with the tech switching. Uh, you can see a lot of interesting composition decisions come out from both players. But anyway, they played a really good series, and I was thinking about like it is important to get these local players a stage where they can be seen. Vibe kind of lucked into being the U.S. champion, not lucked into it, but he wasn't really of a caliber to take on international players, the best from mm-hmm. Europe, certainly not the best from Korea, but sure. he won, he won the United States championship because the U S doesn't have a great scene in that time. He has become a much better player. When I saw him playing Scarlet, you know, for, for the Red Bull battleground spot, he was clearly a much more advanced player than he was when he won that championship. Thing is, nobody's tuning in for vibe. Nobody really sees vibe play because the North American uh, WCS is overrun by Korean uh, Korean players. Uh, mm-hmm. In some cases, you know, basically, you know, B teamers, uh, and in some cases, it's just guys like Jay Dong or uh, you know Polt, who are great players, who their fan base is in America. Um, and for a variety of other reasons, it's just it's just much easier. It makes a lot of sense to sense to play in the U.S. But it it does it is it it does sort of kill the potential to showcase homegrown talent and give them uh, some much needed practice opportunities against uh, real stars. Because I think that does I I think you do see players start to catch up in terms of ability. I think Europe became a stronger scene in some ways because they were playing. Uh, against against so many Korean players on a regular basis, and they're playing so much competitive StarCraft. I think that helped. I, I might be alone in this as a StarCraft fan, but I really don't care about the local scene at all. Like I, I'm, I'm really in the game to see the best players play, and it, they're almost always Korean. But I, I have no interest in in propping up a North American scene if the North American players can't or aren't going to be able to hang at the South Korean level. I mean, I'm a, I'm a really big fan of Scarlet, but I, I love Scarlet because I love the way that she plays. Like, she plays 
a really unique style that I just really enjoy watching. I never enjoy watching Zerg players. Like I have an inbred uh, well, you're a problem yeah, with Zerg. Like I, had, I, like, I am. I play Terran, and I just have a problem with the Zerg race. And I don't like watching any other Zergs play besides Scarlet and Leenock. I can, I can list those two. That's it. And I just have no interest in propping up that North American scene if they're not going to be able to play at that level. Setting aside your hateful racism, mm-hmm. there it is. I'm just going to put it out there. No shame. <laughs> uh, I kind of think. I think there's. I, I kind of wonder if there's a little bit of self deception there. Like, yes, Scarlet is an amazing Zerg player, and she is absolutely one of the best in the world. But I think there's a reason that you care about Scarlet in a way you don't necessarily care about Sulky. I think that I think that relatability helps, and I think part of that is also the fact that you, t- you, know, you talk about the difficulty in telling stories. A lot of Korean pros, um, especially younger ones, who are still kind of up and coming in their team house and everything. I think the I think the personality factor is overrated, and a lot of time I think it's kind of used as a as a mask to to maybe write off prejudice a little bit. Like, you know, Korean players are boring; they're they're just kind of these weird, generic little like robots. <laughs> and that's kind of like okay, is it because you don't understand their language, and because they're kind of reserved and young young kids? Sure. Like, are you kind of making it a thing that it isn't? But I do think there's something to be said for there's a relatability to people who speak your language, who come from your cultural you know background, like. I think when, uh, you know, when Snoot is writing about the difficulty of competing as a European and moving, going to Korea and competing there, uh, you know, I think there's, I think there's a way that you can relate to Snoot and understand the sport through his eyes in a way you can't really from say like, you know, um, a player like Hack on the Star Tail team, uh, mm-hmm. who's a really good Terran. He's getting better. I think you'll hear his name a lot next year. But he is still kind of a young kid who's the product of a training system that's, you know, he's basically Ender, right? Like, you know, he's been, he's been raised since, you know, adolescence to win, uh, to win this strategy game. Uh, that's, kind of, that's kind of how it reads to me. And so I think there is value in having a local scene just to help create some opportunities for drama and character that you maybe wouldn't otherwise get. Because otherwise, we might as well just have GSL all the time, which kind of sounds awesome, but, <laughs> you know. So I mean, there, there is something there, though, because I, I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, Scarlet is only only plays at the level that she plays at because she spent an incredibly... She spent a large amount of time in South Korea. You know, you only get that good by leaving your country and going to play with the best of the best and there to me it's like i i I don't know i I don't know so i wanted to talk about because i wanted to ask you guys about dota 2 because that's been a (laughs) conspicuously absent from this discussion and i think one of the reasons for that is dota 2 is kind of weird right like this summer everyone was talking about dota 2 because it's the international it's all we talked about and then once again, like every year, it kind of seems like Dota 2 vanishes. Like people have an obsessive, obsessive relationship with it in some ways. But as an esport, I don't know. Where do you guys think it's at? It's primarily because I think it's it's really hard to follow without these you know these major leagues like the LCS and the WCS. It's again, it it feels like esports in 2010, 2011. It it's just a collection of tournaments um, where there's no sort of central governing body. That is sort of propping it up. To yeah, and at, it. at the same time, um, I, I really was really interested in Dota Two when it first launched because 
it was really like a flexing moment for the power of esports because Dota 2, I guarantee you Dota 2's launch, its official launch, went much, much better because of the huge popularity of the international. Oh, absolutely. Just all of the, the eyeballs that were watching that 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 grand finals, uh, what was it, Navi versus Alliance? Mm-hmm. And that huge, amazing story. Time. Right, right. That huge story. I guarantee you the game, actual game's launch went so much smoother and so much better because of that wonderful esports event. And it's interesting that 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 particular event went so well because outside of the international, it seems like Valve has no interest in organizing tournaments. They have no interest in promoting it as an esport other than just saying, hey, here's a group of really, admittedly, really great tools to, in order for other people to cast it, other sure. people to show off these tournaments and other people to organize these things. The tools they have in place in the game itself are amazing. Like they're, so that's, they're that's the Valve best in a nutshell. Tools. Yeah, but that's Valve, Valve has in a no nutshell, interest though. in saying like... What Valve likes to do is plant a seed, and what Riot likes to do is plant an orchard and hire 300 people to maintain the trees every <laughs> single day. And Valve yes. likes to plant that tree and hope that it sprouts other trees over time. And so that's exactly what they do with something like the International, where they create... Uh, or like with the compendium where they'll create this one really inexpensive little piece of software and then they'll that seed will grow as all the all the players show up to to water it with their many millions of dollars we shouldn't pass over those tools too quickly either because this like the standard of uh spectatability in dota 2 is like literally unlike anything i've ever seen i was watching alliance navi play from inside the client i was watching it <laughs> i was able to observe at will and roam the camera around it was like i was there as an observer on 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 the on the game basically because functionally i was and i had my choice of going to different casters and right. uh hearing different audio but the ability to do that basically to give yourself sideline seats you know 50 yard line seats at a dota 2 game for whatever is played you have Dota 2 basically gives you the ability to run your own competitive scene. Like if the three mm-hmm. of us wanted to run a Dota 2 tournament, we would be able to put we would be able to get that shit together probably by like tomorrow morning. Uh, you know, oh, just like 100%. get a bunch of teams together. It's the the ability to do stuff with Dota 2 is unparalleled, and I think it kind of feels like Valve's betting on the fact that they've got one big tentpole event, and other people are going to come through with the with the regular events. Do you think that's going to happen though? Do you do you see stuff like like do you guys follow the international? Do you guys follow the do. Dota 2 yeah. league? A bit here and there. I, I don't follow it as much as I do with uh, League of Legends, but I will watch the major tournaments. Um, yeah, and it's it's a hard thing to sell, I think, in the fact that it feels like they're relying on the most hardcore of fans to hold this thing up, um, and they're not really concerned with the casual spectator, which, on one hand, that's sort of admirable. You're catering to the most people, but like it's not going to necessarily draw as huge of an audience as even StarCraft or League of, or definitely not League of Legends. I'm not not convinced that that's going to happen. So what I think Valve is doing at the moment is is trying to wait for the community to continue to mold the Dota 2 scene and to sort of self-select what are going to be the major tournaments, what are going to, what's going, to, what is everything going to look like, because 
you know, you go into the Dota 2 client and you can right away just go over and buy tickets to an event. And what that means is basically you'll pay 99 cents or $1.99 and you'll get full access to VODs and to live video of all these different events. And it feels like they want, they want people to basically self-select what tournaments are going to be the most successful and what events are going to be the most renowned and make the most money and what things are going to be able to continue over time. So they're building this ecosystem and trying to see what flourishes. Which is a really interesting way to do it. But I'm, I, I, to me, personally, it feels like what esports have done over the past five years or so to not as much success but then again with the advent of the new technology with the advent of the you know the, this amazing streaming thing i don't know i was gonna say i don't know about you guys but when i'm watching a twitch stream of uh either league or starcraft oftentimes i will try to click on the minimap to move the camera around yep. <laughs> i do that all the time i just pause it and you go shit and then you have to you know unpause it and let it go again but uh yeah, Dota, Dota 2 is pretty next-gen when it comes to that. In terms of an eSport, it is very, very far and away much better than StarCraft or League of Legends, and I wonder if that will start to express itself over time. I gotta believe it, it, it will. I think the, the thing is there are advantages that come from overseeing things yourself, the way Riot and, uh, and Blizzard are, and I think at some point, either like, maybe the International is enough, uh, but I really think Dota 2 could benefit to have someone else who's doing really easy to follow top flight uh you know broadcasts with a really great uh web front end uh a, an easy place to find what's going on and and follow the sport and the teams i don't think it's entirely got that right now but i think you know the game hadn't even launched uh you know un, until late the, later in this year so i i think you know we'll 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 see where that goes in in 2014 i i, I kind of think like Dota 2 has to blow up bigger. It, it just has to. There's too many tools. Um, and... So do you think that the the big question right now for Dota, I guess, is how big the effect of MLG, uh, you know, putting them their considerable weight behind uh, Dota 2 as one of their major sports, you know, what will that do to the scene? And I got to think it has to help as far as public perception goes. I guess I am sometimes skeptical of MLG. They did really well, uh, better than I expected with their Columbus event. Uh and they do have a huge brand, and they can help sort of build that kind of tentpole that maybe Dota needs a little bit. My issue with MLG is just from the perspective of history, I watched them go through so many different strategies and approaches with StarCraft II <laughs> that just as soon as something seemed to be working well, they were changing it up again and trying to spin some new business model. And right now they're trying to get into streaming. They're trying to get into getting pros to become MLG streamers. Um, there are like, there are like MLG puts its fingers in so many different pies and hops around in terms of focus so often that I kind of wonder whether or not, in the end, they'll prove to be a great home for Dota. I kind of feel like MLG and StarCraft kind of went aground in part because I think MLG were becoming so iffy on production that they it hit it hit a point where I think they were running actually straight up bad events. Uh, I think early this year, like MLG's final StarCraft tournaments were were pretty mediocre. They were they were actually quite bad. Yeah, I like I had a viewing party. 
uh, like we were watching the end of uh, the winter championship, maybe, or maybe it was spring. But either way, like a bunch of my friends and I, we get together and we watch a full day of StarCraft. So, like, you know, the last day of the tournament, the, uh, the, the semis and the finals. And I think in like six or seven hours, we saw maybe two matches of StarCraft. Um, wow. It was it was wow. just, it was it was awful. Uh, we saw a lot of episodes was, of Game Cribs. Not all Game I remember Cribs. from that was simply that they they were only putting up like ten thousand dollar prizes for the the winners. So I mean they weren't getting any notable players to come, and so all the matches were kind of kind of boring because you had you know maybe three Korean players would show up and they would of course win, and so no one really cared to watch any of it because it wasn't exciting. Yeah, so I just, uh, that's that's my main reservation. Like, I know MLG can do great events. I think last year they did some tremendous events. I thought the uh, StarCraft um, uh, arenas were fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they were a great showcase for players. Uh, their, their championships were fantastic. I think that as they kept, you know, sort of changing what they were doing, uh, they became inconsistent on the things you have to get right. Nobody's going to stick around for an incompetently produced event, and I think that started to happen at the start of this year. Hopefully, it doesn't with Dota two, uh, but I, you know, I, I think you saw Dream League form uh, in in Europe, mm-hmm. and that's got some pretty experienced hands behind it. Uh, so I think I, I think. Dota 2 is going, it does have enough backers behind it that you're going to see some great tournament scenes start. I do mm-hmm. question whether MLG will prove to be one of those in the long run. I just think they need some eyeballs on the game over the course of the year because they have that, that beautiful, wonderful temple of the international that everybody's going to tune in to watch. And I think they just need some yeah. stepping stones to get through the year so they can get back to the international without losing total fan interest in the game. And I think MLG can be part of that. If, and I don't think MLG can be a tentpole of even a quarter. Uh, yeah. or of a season, but I think they can be a stepping stone for them. So, you know, that kind of covers the big trends of 2013. Uh, you know, turning our focus to kind of what's going on right now, some of the, like, more recent stories in esports. This weekend and last weekend, we've had the Battle of the Atlantic and the promotion series for uh, the League of Legends Championship Series. And I just kind of want to see what you guys have thought about, uh, you know, thought about both of those. The, the Battle of the Atlantic between the top five uh, respective teams of the European and North American divisions and the promotion series we've seen so far. Uh, how have you guys felt about that? Well, you can go ahead and take that one, Taylor, because my league is not my specialty. And I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about, uh, about those. I thought the, I mean, the, the Battle of the Atlantic matches themselves, which if you don't know, are, uh, they took the, the, previous years previous seasons top five teams from both north america and europe and have them play each other uh over the course of a long series in order to sort of find out who is the best you know between the two regions so just between north america and europe so only there was some way to identify which region is stronger Hmm. in league of legends yeah (laughs) like you know some sort of world championship of some variety um but (laughs) Yeah, they took the top five teams, sort of matched up the first place versus first place, second place, second, so on and so forth, um, and sort of put on this exhibition, which has been a fair amount of fun to watch, uh, purely for perhaps morbid purposes, because you're realizing that after watching the World Championships, oh no, uh, Europe and North America really aren't terribly good. They're, they're sort of lagging behind the Asian scene a bit. And 
it's been sort of enlightening watching watching these two uh, allegedly the best, or definitely not allegedly the two the five the ten best teams in their respective regions playing each other and and going on these weird exciting matches that are primarily exciting because of the weird stuff that is happening and misplays and how you know how poorly CLG is playing uh, how poorly you know. Lemon Dogs did against TSM. It, it, there are these sort of fascinating insights into what's going on in these two in these two leagues. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's been a lot of fun to watch, even if it is a bit morbid. So you mentioned that North America is doing pretty poorly, correct? Yeah, they, well, they've lost. Uh, what? Are they? Well, actually, they, they've split the series two to two so far. Oh, okay. uh, no, they have not. I, I believe. They no, play? they they, they oh, haven't sorry, actually. Was, sorry, uh, only TSM has won. Yeah, it was three to one, but the TSM's score was worth two points. It's yeah. a weird thing. Um, and we're recording this on the Sunday before the Cloud Nine versus Fnatic, which is which the, is really the one everyone wants to see. Yeah, right, that's the right. big that's the big showstopper. Um, TSM beat Lemon Dogs. That's the only time in a North American team won. So today, if Cloud Nine beats Fnatic, they'll earn themselves three points, making North America the winner. What? But they would only have one. Two out of five <laughs> matches because USA, USA. <laughs> but yeah, the Battle of Atlantic has been rather enlightening, uh, unfortunately. But the the promotion series also has been a lot, a lot of fun to watch. I know Rob, you've been watching a bit of those as well, um, sort of deciding who will be in the LCS next season. Uh, the European promo series ended up last week. And this week is the today will be the final matches to decide who gets to North America. Um, yeah, I just have to say that I really enjoy the fact that uh, League of Legends fans are really starting to, to feel the pain of StarCraft fans of, of North America just not being competitive ever. We didn't realize I, it I like until that. this year, I don't think, because Korea was not a, a, a force to be reckoned with last year. Mm. Season two, they were not absent to until season. But it was uh, still were, Southeast Asia, correct? Southeast like Asia was Taiwan right. and China. So it was kind of weird, right? Like in 2012, it was like at the very end for the World Championship, it was like, oh, there is an entire rest of the world that's yeah. playing League of Legends. <laughs> and the Koreans have actually been playing a little bit too. And oh, God, they're killing everyone. Uh, yeah. Which people just didn't expect to happen. Like people were saying, like uh, Gambit Gaming was going to like dominate the championship uh, last year. And they just got taken apart. Um, and CLG EU, uh, the the well, they're t- they're kind of gone. But CLG EU was kind of the only Western roster that was able to sort of keep pace with the uh, the Asian invasion. Uh, but yeah, prior to that, like League of Legends was kind of this walled garden where you know Northern European and North American players were kind of the only people playing at a high level. And at that time, uh, that's kind of when TSM's reputation as one of the best in the world was established. Uh, and then the moment the, the focus broadened and more people got into the game, boy, did that change and changed fast. See, to me, that's one of the most fascinating things in in all of esports. The simple fact that in basically every esport, Southeast Asia or at least broader Asia is 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 dominant. They're going to win in everything. I mean, it even extends as far as the fighting game scene, where all the top players are from Japan, um, and perhaps the top player right now, Infiltration, is from South Korea as well. So they're even doing incredibly well in the fighting game scene. League of Legends and Dota 2 is like the holdout 
where yeah, Europe still does incredibly well. And to me, that's just, it's just a fascinating thing. And I wonder if, you know, if the South Korean, China, Taiwanese um, teams start picking up Dota 2, will they, they really start to dominate there as well? Um, yeah. Yeah, I kind of wonder that myself. No, I mean, the Chinese did really well last year in Dota, and then this year Alliance came back. Uh, Alliance and Navi came back in you know absolute top form and were just incredible killers. Uh, so I kind of wonder whether that's going to change uh, ever. Uh, and I, I don't know enough about the game to understand the, like the mechanism of why history wouldn't necessarily repeat itself in in Dota because absolutely in every other sport it's like the Koreans and Chinese get a hold of it and they kind of start to take the lead on it uh, a his, little bit. I mean, his, historically the uh, Asian the Asian players tend to the dominant Asian players tend to be in the most popular esport that's out there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so perhaps if Dota sort of manages to stay in its second place spot where it's currently at right now, maybe it'll sort of stay European focused, uh, but we'll have to see if it grows past where it is now. In general, I, I feel like it's a cultural thing. I feel like it's a cultural and infrastructure thing where there, there are just these great minds in, in South Korea and in China who have just been studying video games and have been studying these systems and they just know how to win at games. And we just don't... And I think a lot of it has to do with coaching. And we just don't have that infrastructure yeah. in North America yet. And maybe there is some of it in Europe, but we don't have it here, certainly. Well, that's what's interesting about the North American scene now is teams are starting to... Or in League of Legends in particular, you're starting to see teams pick up coaches and pick mm-hmm. up analysts. And uh, that's something that didn't really exist until this year. And to, you know, players dropping from being pro players and becoming coaches because they, you know, they're... They can't play league anymore. They're they're past their prime, and right. by past their prime, I mean they're twenty four. Um, <laughs> so th- th- that's that sort of culture of coaching and analysm is going to sort of get. A, it's going to see a rise this year, I think. Here's but here's what I here's what makes me question that a little bit. When I look at what's happening in North America in terms of coaches and analysts, it's like players that people liked from other teams in the scene uh, Mm -hmm. sort of dropping out of competitive play and they have this kind of coaching afterlife where they help lead other teams but the thing is like a year like a korean like team house leader a, a korean coach is actually like a professional coach at this right. point. Like it ha- knows how to work a training regime, knows how to prepare players for, you know, a given match and really break down uh, on their team strategies and come up with a counter. Uh, and I kind of wonder like, you know, take take for example um uh Dan Din left mm-hmm. uh left TSM this year and joined Cloud9 as an analyst. And I don't know. I don't know enough about. Uh, I, I don't know enough about Dan to to, to say one way or the other uh, whether you know he he has what it takes. But he he, he went from kind of being a, you know a, a backup and uh, you know counselor for the entire TSM team to now helping coach the premier team in North America. And my question is like. Is that really the model? Does that like is that a is that a real coach or are you getting someone who's going to be able to help you a little bit, uh, you know, help help your team get in the right headspace, but maybe doesn't have the organizational chops that a you know a Korean coach you know has to by virtue of coming up in that system. Yeah, I mean, you're, 
You're absolutely right about that. I think it has to do with I, in North America. To me, it feels like there's there's no cutthroat esports infrastructure yet. Whereas in in Southeast Asia, if you can't cut it, you're just not there. But in North America, I think a lot of people, you know, they hang around because they make friends in these organizations or they make friends in the in the, in the business of esports, and they're able to get jobs after afterwards because they you know esports pros don't have a lot of options afterwards so they're like buddy it feels like they're going buddy can you get me a job and so like okay you can be our manager you can be our coach you know even though like you said rob they're not those those people who really understand management who understand people skills and who understand how to spur a team on but will that sort of uh that sort of culture of remaining in the scene long term will that eventually sort of promote a a generational culture where coaches come in from the top rather than the bottom will will that sort of in the long term create that culture i think it takes a long time and i think that it's you only have that in south korea because of brood war you know and people you know 10 years with brood war like they had time to really establish veterans and really establish an infrastructure there and you know it, it went went so fluidly into league of legends after that um, that I think it's not it's not going to be a case of next year, the year after that, or the year after that in North America. But it's it's going to have to be a whole generational thing where I think we we may be struggling for a really long time. Well, and here's my question: Are the incentives even there? You you talked about how cutthroat uh, you know Korean esports are, and they absolutely are. Like you you saw what was happening with like. You know, there have been a few cases now where guys have stumbled on the world stage at Worlds in League of Legends, and they're basically cut from their team while mm-hmm. their plane is still in the air. Like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's not a system that, that accepts failure or, or mediocre performances. And I just wonder, North America seems very personality-driven in some mm-hmm. ways. You have the, these 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 storylines of teams of buddies whether or not it's a fiction or not there's sure, this whole sure. like dream of hey they're just five guys who just really like hanging out and they play this game really well and you know go go tsm go clg and i kind of wonder if maybe you have you have some perverse incentives where you, where guys are maybe kept around as as personalities because like their teams like them, their fans like them. They make your they give your team some identity. Uh, if they're kept around well past the point where they're really adding a whole hell of a lot to to your squad, like you know if 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 you look at how long it took CLG. Uh, to move away from its from its old lineup, uh, you know that that was a squad that was clearly on its last legs throughout the year, uh, and even even last year. Uh, but it was taking a long time to make the necessary roster moves, and I just don't think you see those complications coming up nearly as much in Europe or uh, or Asia. Yeah, I feel like it sort of turned into this cyclical thing with a lot of North American teams where they they don't have the talent necessary to really go and dominate a tournament and really pull in those winnings. So they have to rely on advertising, they have to rely on those personalities to bring in the notoriety for their team. And because they do that, they don't have the talent to go out there and get those winnings. And they, and, you know, it, it, it loops back in on itself. And I think the really successful North American teams, when you think about uh, Evil Geniuses and Team Liquid, they've sort they sort of establish a balance where they have like those ringers who go out there and they win tournaments for their team name. So in, in Evil Geniuses, it's J Dong. Uh, in Team Liquid, it's Tasia and Hero. Uh, and then the rest of the rest of them, uh, the rest of the players on their team tend to be 
just sort of around to bring in eyeballs, you know? So, I mean, that was Idra for the longest time on Evil Geniuses and uh, in control. And you're starting to see that a little bit in League of Legends as well, uh, as, particularly with EGs, uh, with them, the, the North American, or excuse me, the European squad moving over into North America and, and basically overrunning the promo series and making it into the, the spring split in North America, you see. And there's three admittedly great players, but they're also uh, on that squad, but they're also, all three of them are personalities. Uh, you know, Crepo in particular, who's their support player, is a huge personality within the scene. He was a, on the analyst desk during the world championships. Everyone loves Greppo. But then they sort of came, they came in and grabbed Poe Belter, who's a phenom in the mid lane, and then Inox in the top lane, who nobody really knew much about, but he's a fabulous player. Um, so there, it seems that they're taking that, what you were saying about what they do in StarCraft and, and, applying that to league of legends hmm. and i have a sneaking suspicion that eg is going to be a dominant squad in north america this year well yeah i mean certainly <laughs> the question is does it take much to be a dominant squad in north america at all exactly <laughs> uh i mean and by the way how much must it suck to be uh determined gaming who oh. qualified for their promo series in north america they were slotted to play velocity esports who were just a train wreck and then just as just as you're about to make it into the lcs it's like surprise evil geniuses are now in north america good luck in <laughs> snoopa crapo and uh, yellow pete have fun yeah that, it was a, a bit of a sneaky maneuver by eg there uh, and I, I, I bet in the next split you're going to see another team or two attempt that, perhaps some of the Asian teams. Well, and that's that's going to be – well, Quantic has already announced that, like, mm -hmm. uh, the, the roster is fairly new at this point. But, like, they, they are putting together uh, – they put together a pretty strong Korean-based squad. And uh, you, you know they're going to try again, uh, even if it didn't work out this time. So, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting in North America in particular because it's clearly a soft competitive field and people are becoming aware of that. And so if you've got a situation where you've got a few good players in Europe who are maybe just not quite up to the standard of that division, send in North America and clean house there. Uh, it's absolutely doable. And that's going to become that's going to be where the rubber meets the road uh, for North American teams because they, they, like, if they let what happened in StarCraft happen right now, there's not a lot of excuses left. The The infrastructure is there in North America for LCS. You have Absolutely. salaries, you have team houses, you have regular competition. It's put up or shut up time. Yeah, and it, Cloud9 is sort of like the, the forefront of that. We'll see how they can compete. It'll be interesting to see if, if, if uh, Riot starts to take control of that a little bit and tries to save some of their North American poster boys who need who they need to be able to be out there to make a name for the game in North America. I don't think they do anything overt, but you know they have personal relationships with all these players and teams and such. There's a lot of levers you can pull, like just suggest like, "Hey, you know it'd be a really great lineup." Uh, there's there's a <laughs> lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of things you could do to sort of to sort of help that scene along without without taking any drastic uh, region locking uh, steps. And I don't think I don't think you want to see region lock. I really don't. I don't think it would be good for North America in the long run no. because yeah bunch of just North American squads playing against each other. Uh, it didn't work last year. Uh, Cloud9 like kicked ass and got really good. But overall, the competition level, I don't think, improved that much. Right, and and so, like segregating the, the world like that just makes certain leagues softer. 
just by default, and it makes Worlds less exciting. I mean, that's what we saw in, in StarCraft in 2012 with the WCS Finals, and it was kind of a disaster. Yeah, that was a disaster also in large part because Blizzard did not know how to produce an event back then. Well, uh, yeah, too. But the but, tournament was boring as hell, too. So. Yeah, it really was. Um Setting aside League of Legends for now, I mean, we should talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what's coming up. Like, in tr- like one of the most annoying things in esports is like, what what should I actually be watching? What's what's important <laughs> right now? It's surprisingly difficult to reliably find that information. So, you know, come the new year, what are you guys going to be into? Well, in January, we've got the, the WCS coming back up, which, you know, as StarCraft II nerd, I really can't help but be interested in. You know, even if most of the stuff I've seen, you know, time and time again, the matchups I've already seen these players play out and I've seen these builds over and over again, but I, you know, I still can't stop watching it. I just like, I'm in love with the, the, the ongoing storyline of that. So we don't have a date yet, but sometime, I believe in January 2014, the WCS starts up again and that'll be uh, a 10 week process. So probably sometime in March, you'll see the big, the first big WCS premier tournament come out, which is, you know. If you're not a super big esports fan, a super big uh, StarCraft fan, that end of season tournament is all you really need to watch to get the gist of what's going on in StarCraft. Um, but if you're really into the sport, you can kind of tune in to the regular WCS matches most weekdays, I believe. And uh, as for League of Legends, the LCS is obviously starting back up. And uh, on January 17th, that's when the first North American matches begin. And then there are always Korean and Chinese matches happening. You just sort of have to find them. On Twitter. <laughs> Set your alarm clock for, yeah, you know, they, they 10 p.m. Very yeah. late or very early. Uh, but yeah, though that's all of the professional League of Legends is happening starting in January. Yeah, I mean, if you don't know, we're in the, we're in the dead zone of esports right now. Where there's just nothing going on. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm very excited to see the uh, new WCS format next season as well. They've really, I, I, looking at the plans they have for WCS 2014, it really seems like they took to heart a lot of important criticisms of their format, and I think we should see a better viewing experience at the very least, uh, if not a better competitive experience. Some of the issues, uh, Greg Idra Fields wrote a really great piece over at On Gamers about sort of assessing the changes to WCS for 2014 and raise some very good points about why uh, the soft region lock may not actually help local regions uh, as quickly as they need, as they need to be helped. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Andrew's probably like, yes, die unworthy North American players, but I feel <laughs> sad. Uh, you know, as for me, I think I am definitely going to be tuning into uh, the Intel Extreme Masters uh, series you know, in the early part of next year. And the thing that's really on my calendar, this isn't in January, but the thing that's really, uh, you know, sort of at the center of my esports calendar for the first, uh, you know, three three months of the year is the IEM Championship at Katowice, Poland, March 14th through Mar- March 16th. Uh, this is the first time they've done their... Um, their championship, not at the huge uh, Sebit uh, trade show in Hanover. Uh, this is a dedicated esports event. And the last time they, the last time esports came to Katowice, it was one of the most bonkers things I've ever seen. Like, if you see pictures from this event, it's like 
Okay, you know what everyone's talking about, like, the future of esports being, like, huge stadium-sized events and filling out, like, football arenas and everything? That was Katowice. Right, that was, right. that was that. the crowd that showed up. It was, it was absolutely <laughs> insane. And so it's going to have StarCraft there. And IEM StarCraft is very good. It attracts an international uh, cast of characters. So you'll probably get some stars you don't even see very often in WCS events necessarily. Uh, and Katowice, then, Katowice was where the, the infamous XPECA backdoor happened. Yes. The, one of the most famous plays in all of League of Legends. If you haven't seen that, go Google XPECA backdoor. You should turn safe search on. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> There's some uh, fandom oh. stuff going on there. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing at IEM uh, Katowice is going to be a $250,000 uh, Counter-Strike Global Offensive prize pool uh so this is interesting to me yeah so counter-strike seems to be enjoying kind of resurgence like uh, csgo is really starting i'm seeing more people watching it i don't think the numbers or anything like you see in some of the other esports we've discussed but it's definitely uh making itself felt more as an esport than it has in recent months and i think Part of that has to be the fact that uh, CSGO is no longer a subsidy system for ninjas in pajamas. Uh, <laughs> that, that probably helps. So I, I feel like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is just my intuition based on the fact that they're offering this absurd price uh, that they do not need to offer. Like they could offer a quarter of that and still get the same turnout in terms of uh, teams. Um, I feel like what Counter-Strike needs is, you know, we talked about that earlier in the cast, that an eSport needs a tentpole event. And I feel like just from that little bit of information that IEM maybe wants to be that for Counter-Strike. Because people in general, the people who are on the periphery of the eSports world, who are curious about it, who like to watch an event here or there, they just want to know what the number one, they just want to know what the world championship is. You know, they don't really care about this little tournament over here. They don't really care about this tournament over here. But if you tell them it's the world championship, if you say, oh, Evo's on. This is the biggest fighting game tournament of the year. You need to watch this to understand the fighting game community. Or you say, this is the international. Or you say, this is world. Or this is the WCS finals. They'll tune in for that because there's drama to that. There's a lot that's interesting there. And I feel like there's a really big opportunity for someone to come in and be that for CSGO. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the the... Real challenge, of course, is spectatability. It always is. First-person shooters are hard to watch. I think CSGO has gotten closer than just about anyone I've seen. Mm-hmm. It's easier to follow. The maps are the map pool is so stable that like if you watch the sport for any length of time at all, you you kind of do get a feel for the uh, geography of the maps. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah, it's it's definitely a trick uh, to to get. To, to to make that an exciting uh, viewing experience, but absolutely does need a a major a major event to to get eyeballs on it, and maybe get a few of those to stick around for some of the smaller events. And I think IEM is probably looking for, you know, an addition to its brand because it, you know it's no longer the premier StarCraft tournament. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it can't even it can't make a credible claim for that because WCS is there. Uh, it's still a great StarCraft series, but you know it needs something that's uniquely IEM. Uh, it can't just be an adjunct to uh, WCS and uh, League of Legends Challenger series. It needs to have its own identity. So right, we'll, right. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see what we'll see how CS:GO does. Uh, I'm definitely going to tune in for that because I enjoyed watching uh, CS:GO a couple weeks ago. I think it was IEM Cologne. Uh, I could be wrong, but they had, had a great tournament there as well. So I think that's really interesting. The the idea that the the really big esports have kind of gotten away in terms of size. They've gotten too big 
for the periphery tournaments. Now the periphery tournaments need to go find something else. They need to go find uh, the other esports are out there and start to build those up now. You know, like Counter-Strike or even, uh, like I, I have a feeling Hearthstone is going to start to become a thing uh, over the next year or so. And I mean, Wargaming.net definitely yeah. wants World of Tanks to get bigger. They've got uh, they've got GOM TV in Korea doing production on that as well. So I mean, yeah, 2014. You know, we we spent most of the time talking about you know League and StarCraft and Dota, but 2014 might one of the big stories might be that you see sort of an emerging secondary market for esports uh, right, as right. as the second tier esports get bigger. The the meaning of what it means to, sec- to be second tier might change quite a bit. That would be fascinating if you started to see those games like Counter-Strike, like World of Tanks become, you know, like StarCraft was in 2010 or 2009 or no, not 2009, but 20, 2010 and 2011 where they're, they hadn't peaked in popularity and they hadn't reached public consciousness yet. But they were still pulling in 75,000 concurrent viewers on Twitch or 100,000 here or there. That would, that would be fascinating. So I think that'll do it for our discussion of uh, esports in 2013 for today. I should mention that if you enjoyed the show, uh, we would absolutely love feedback. I think, you know, Taylor and Andrew and I are all sort of esports buddies, and we have so much to say about esports. We've sort of been kicking around the idea of maybe doing this semi regularly, uh, somewhat, uh, either on its own podcast or just as kind of a special issue thing we do once in a while. Uh, but we would absolutely love to hear your interest level in that and maybe get some feedback on our discussion so far today uh this is definitely kind of where we feel comfortable pitching it uh we don't want to be so far in the scene that we become incomprehensible uh because i think we all agree as people have sort of kept one foot in general gaming one foot in esports getting those two audiences to speak to each other and understand each other (laughs) really difficult and sometimes painful uh so we definitely We could definitely use some pointers and uh, hear what you think of of what we've done here today. Uh, But anyway, as always, our thanks to our producer, Michael Hermes, for putting this episode together. And Taylor and Andrew, thanks for being flexible on timing and uh, joining me just a few days before Christmas for a super nerdy discussion. My pleasure. No problem, Rob. Hope you have a great holiday. Yeah, you too. And uh, go Cloud9. Go Cloud9. USA. I'll stop. (laughs) That'll do it for today's show. I'll be back next week with a, I am sure, a more traditional strategy discussion. Uh, For now, happy holidays from all your friends at Three Moves Ahead. Uh, Have a safe and wonderful holiday. Good night.